So in our sermon last week, we were thinking about the importance of unity and we were looking at the, the ways that, that what unity actually looked like, you know, the practical support and the spiritual support. Well, this week we're continuing thinking about unity and we're looking at an example, Paul's example of unity in his own life, you know, how he actually lived. But also there's a warning. It's a warning against people who would destroy unity. And I think it's really important for us to hear that as well. So what does Paul have to say to us? Romans chapter 16, I think, is one of these passages that people would easily skip over because it's a lot of names. And these are all, of course, people that we don't know. They're long dead. So, uh, you know, you might think, well, that's not very, very relevant to me. And actually, I think that this chapter teaches us some really crucial things. This is you know, Paul's theology in action. You know, he's showing how what he's been talking about through Romans actually is, is put into practice in his own life. And Paul practicing what he preached. That is what, what this is all about, really. So verses 1 to 16, these are the, this list of names. It's a list of greetings now, Paul sends greetings to all of the different people in the church in Rome. Now, I just wanted to, to flag up from the outset that Paul mentions about 25 names in this passage. And that's not including households. So where he says, you know, greet people of the household of, you know, greet the church who, who meets in their house and, and so on. So Paul uh, refers to a lot of people, both directly and indirectly, in this passage. Now, just think about that for a second. Do you, could you name 25 people in your church? You know, could you name that many people just in your own church? And you know, maybe you would be able to name that many people. But then, could you name that many people in a neighbouring church? You know, a church that you didn't go to regularly. I think that's, um, that's more, more difficult, isn't it? And I think this just goes to show how much Paul cared, how deeply he cared, you know, that he took the time to really get to know people. He took the time to, to spend that time with people and he, you know, he, he just cared about them. And that's something which, you know, that, that is unity in action. You know, that is love in action, isn't it? You know, that's what the church should be like. Now, people sometimes think that love is all about, you know, helping the homeless or, you know, food banks and, and charities and, and so on. And that is part of it. But actually, love is just caring for and loving one another. You know, actually taking an interest in one another's lives, greeting one another, as Paul does. So Paul is showing us what love and what unity look like that he, he really cared and that that comes across very much in what he says and he keeps on talking about my dear friends and and so on so uh so that what do we learn then from this list of names from the people that he greets what do we learn about the church in rome one thing is that uh, the, the names paul mentions almost half of them are women so there was a good mix between men and women. Uh, Paul greets the men and he greets the women as well. And actually, he says, uh, Phoebe, he says, is a deacon of the church um, in, 
in um, Greece, uh, in Corinth. He, um, she's, it looks like she was the one dispatched to send the letter to the Romans. So she carried the letter as they didn't have a postal service, of course, in those days. So Phoebe um, was a, called a deacon of the church there. Um, so, you know, it, it shows men and women playing an, a, a role in the church. And uh, I mean, I don't think this has anything particular. This particular passage says anything specific about the particular roles that men and women should have in, in ministry in terms of church leadership. Um, I think we need to go elsewhere. But it, it is important to say at the outset, you know, Paul is sometimes called anti-women. And we can see from this passage that's nonsense. You know, Paul loved women, worked with women. You know, it, it wasn't at all. He wasn't at all anti-anti-woman. Um, so that's one thing that the church had a good, you know, gender balance. Um, also, it was uh, taken from a mix of, of people of high status and low status. There are some names in the list that were quite common slave names. And there are also names in the list which appear to be people maybe even from the imperial household. So we have a mix both of slaves and of people who are wealthy and powerful and, and influential. Uh, from all, you know, a cross-section of all, all parts of society. And actually, although he doesn't mention anyone in this list, in the, the next part, he mentions about um, Erastus, the, the city's director of public works. So there were certainly people of, of low status and high status mixing together in, in all of the, the different churches. And I think that's significant as well, you know, because the gospel brings people together from all different backgrounds, you know, whether rich or poor. And you know, we've seen that um, through Romans, and it's good to see that in action, actually, in what Paul says. And there's also a balance of uh, Jew and Gentile. You now, Paul mentions several of the people are his fellow Jews, but then others seem to have um, Greek names or Roman names. So they are people who were, would have been Gentiles. And, uh, and there was a mix. And again, we, we've seen that through Romans, but they seem to be, there's a real diversity in this church. Now, I've heard it said, you know, in, in this, these days, uh, this day and age, diversity is a big thing. That the church is actually the most diverse organisation, I say organisation is maybe not quite the right way of putting it, but the most diverse group of any group in history. You know, the church is what brings people of all backgrounds, of all races and ethnic backgrounds, um, class, everything. It brings, it brings everyone together. And we see that here in the church in Rome. But there is unity as well. And that's something that's lovely, you know, as we look through, that we see the the diversity of the church, but we also see the unity. Let me just pick up on, on a couple of things that Paul, Paul mentions. He just talks about people working with him and even suffering with him. He mentions that about Priscilla and Aquila, and he says in verse 4, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So Priscilla and Aquila, you know, fellow workers of Paul, they risked their lives for him. And then in verse 7, Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. So they suffered with him, they worked with him, they, they were united as a church. 
Now, as we've seen, there were real problems um, that, you know, particularly in the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles uh, at this time. And that was something that Paul had to address uh, directly in the letter. But there was a real unity about the church. And that was so important to, to Paul. That was so important to the church. And, and we can see that. And Paul, he, he, he ends this, this list of greetings. He says, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, know that this is one of these verses which I think, again, we kind of skip over and we think, oh, isn't that interesting? And we skip over it. But what is interesting is that Paul, this is actually one of four times that he mentions this in his letters. And Peter, another apostle, mentions this in his uh, first letter as well. And what I think Paul is, it's important to take from this, is not necessarily that we all need to go in and kiss one another, you know, because that was obviously at, at the time, that was a, a you know, a, a greeting which was, you know, much more common. I think in, in some, some cultures it's even, you know, more common for men to, to kiss, to, to greet. Um, then you know you wouldn't really see that in in western culture today so much but i think the important message is that we should not be people who are cold and distant with one another that we should be prepared to you know maybe not give each other a holy kiss but give a hug sometimes you know or a hearty handshake maybe if that's the the way but you know we should be together you know we should be uh, not you know treating one another, kind of holding one another at arm's length. But we should be people who actually, you know, want to be with one another and who care about one another and who demonstrate that care in, in practical ways, not just saying, you know, with words, but actually you know, wanting to, to be with one another. You know, we should love one another deeply from the heart. That's what Peter says. So this is what we can see in... These, uh, these verses from Romans, that the love that uh, the church in Rome had was genuine and the love that Paul had for them was genuine. So I think this makes sense of, of where Paul goes next, because in these next few verses, Paul gives a warning against uh, disunity. He says, verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. So Paul says, watch out then for those who cause divisions. Now, if the church is united, then th those who cause divisions are doing something really terrible to the church. You know, unity is the goal, as we saw last week. So those who cause divisions are not doing God's work, but actually doing Satan's work. Um, and that's something that's really important to understand, that divisions in the end will destroy the church. You know, that, that church unity is not something which is a, a nice to have, but it is you know, the, the goal. It's not just our individual holiness that is the goal, but it's our coming together as the church that's what God wants so those who destroy unity are those who are destroying the church those who are destroying what God wants to do who are working against everything that, that, of what God wants to accomplish and this is done by 
especially by teaching falsely, by going against the godly, godly teaching which which we should be following. And we see this in many places in the, in the New Testament. I'd just like to quote you from the book of Jude. I think I mentioned Jude a few weeks ago. But this is what Jude says, Jude 17 to 19. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. They follow mere natural instincts, they do not have the spirit. They, uh, they just follow their own ungodly desires and they divide you. Those are the people who we should, um, we should be on guard against. And this is something that we see all the way through, all the way through the Bible, but especially in the New Testament. You know, warnings against people who distort the teaching of the Bible, who just follow their own desires, who do not have the spirit. And, and it leads to disunity. You know, this false teaching is what leads to disunity in the end. There's a saying I, I heard once, which is sin scatters, but the gospel gathers. Now, sin scatters and, and divides us, but it's the gospel that, that brings us together, that unites us. And so if we depart from the true gospel teaching, then it will, it will scatter us. But it, it is only the true gospel message that brings us together. And so we need to, we need to be careful to stick with that true gospel message. So how do we respond to this, to this false teaching? Paul says, you know, we should watch out, but what should we actually do? He says, uh, keep away from them, first of all. So he says that we should, if someone is being divisive and not teaching rightly, and, you know, just introducing disunity, then we should keep away from them. And I think this is especially important of church leaders, you know, those who are in a position to teach and who are teaching things which are against uh, the gospel message. And so that's one thing, and we'll come back to what that, what that looks like in a, in a few, few minutes. We should also not be naive. Uh, this is what Paul says. Such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. So these people, they're not serving Jesus. As, as we saw that, you know, those who try to divide the church are actually doing Satan's work, that they're not serving Jesus. They're actually serving their own agenda. And what they say is just smooth talk and flattery. And um, you know, this, is, this is how they do it. You know, they might appear to be a Christian. They might, they might appear to be good teachers and, and good Christian people. But actually, it's all, it's all deception. You know, it's just smooth talk. It's flattery. It's not actually the true gospel message. And in fact, all the way through the Bible, the people who teach what you know, God really wants can sometimes appear to be the ones who are divisive because they are calling people to God and to God's standards. And, you know, it, we, have to be, we have to be wise about who is actually causing division. 
you know, because it's not always the people who on the surface appear to be. Uh, we need to be wise. And this is why Paul says, everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Now, Paul says that we need to be wise about what is good, not not going down the path of what is evil. You know, we need to be innocent. Uh, he says, you know, not, that's not naive, but we need to not go down the path of evil. We need to not even know, you know, from the inside what evil is is like. We should stick to what is good and what is right. Now, I think that this is actually one teaching of Paul's which is really relevant to today's church. I mean, it's all relevant, obviously, but I I have personally experienced more bad behaviour in the church than I have elsewhere. And I know that that's partly because I've been involved with the church for quite a long time. But, you know, thinking thinking back, I mean, before I was ordained, I worked in the secular world for uh, about um, seven years. And I can tell you that the behaviour that I've experienced since being ordained in the church, you know, the bullying sometimes, the, um, you know, the, the self-centeredness, the, the lack of concern, just wanting to use, use you rather than actually love you, the lack of love and, and so on, all of that, I think it's been worse than the secular world that I, that I left. You know, the secular, even the worst company that I worked for, I think was better uh, than the church has been. That's not to say that every everything has been uniformly bad, but I, I just feel like there is a, a real naivety sometimes in the church when if, when people say if they say they are Christian, then we we just kind of let them off the hook, let bad behaviour off the hook, and Paul would say no, that's causing division. We mustn't excuse that behaviour. No, that's not to say that we should cast people out at the first sign of, you know that, that we should give people the chance to repent but we mustn't tolerate this kind of divisive behavior that we must not be naive you know that not everyone who claims to be a christian actually is and we need to we need to wise up uh, to these things and not tolerate this kind of bad behavior so in the closing verses of romans paul gives us some encouragement and he has, he says in verse 20, and I think this is great, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And I think what a wonderful encouragement that we know that at the end, Satan will be defeated. And, and we see that in the book of Revelation, you know, Satan cast into the, the, the lake of fire. But we know that uh, Satan has not won the victory. And we do, although it may seem at times like Satan is is winning that actually you know that's never the case and we must remember that Satan is a defeated foe and you know that I think what what we should be expecting to see is that we will win sort of intermediate victories you know in the before the final end there will be victories over Satan in in between and we should expect that and we should trust that God will lead us and guide us and and you know cause us to uh, to, to be victorious, even in the, the here and now. Uh, so I think that that's a real encouragement uh, to, to us and to me at the moment. 
And then uh, Paul mentions a few more people, which I'll, I'll skip over if, if you don't mind. And then he says, verse 25, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. To him who is able to establish you. Now that word establish is used elsewhere. It's actually used several times in the book of Acts. So let me just turn back to one example of this. This is Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Now that word strengthening, I believe, is the same word as establishing. To establish, to strengthen. And I think it's got that, the idea of building up. You know, not just um, you know laying a foundation, but then actually building on it and, and making sure that it, it will stand firm. And this is what the, the Christian life is like, you know, that when we come to, to Christ, when we come to believe in Jesus, it's not just that one moment, but then you know we need to keep keep on strengthening our faith, you know, that God strengthens us and you know we keep building the, the faith keeps being built up as we go through our lives it's a lifelong process and i think that's that's an important thing to remember you know that discipleship is not just something that we do we start out uh, but we need to keep on moving along and that's why i created understand the bible in the first place you know it, it was to help you help people to grow in faith all of the courses as well as the sermons um, you know it's just to help grow in faith to help establish uh, so that we we have a full knowledge about about God and about the Bible, and so that we are able to to know and to live in the ways that God uh, wants us to. And uh, Paul finishes off. Then he says, "But um, now the mystery which has now been revealed and made known, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, the obedience that comes from faith." That's Paul's summary of the gospel message. This is what he started with at the beginning of Romans, Romans uh, 1 verse 5. He says the obedience that comes from faith. And this is what he finishes with here, the obedience that comes from faith. That is Paul's summary of the gospel, that as we have faith in God, uh, it, it, it leads us to a deeper obedience to him and a deeper love for, for him and for others through faith. And that's the important thing. So let me just draw then a little summary of a conclusion of what we can remember, what we can take into this week. I know that we've looked at a lot of different things, but let me uh, just draw out a few things to remember. So the first thing is that church should be about loving relationships. Church should be about loving relationships. Now, for some reason, this is not how we naturally think very often. I think we often, when we read about love in the Bible, I think we, we think about, uh, you know, doing perhaps you know, helping out with a homeless shelter or perhaps, you know, um, helping the poor or, or, or something like that. You know, we think that love is about helping people who are less fortunate. And that is that is love, of course. 
But love is also just enjoying spending time with people, getting to know people, befriending them. That, you know, it's about caring. And if we don't have that in our churches, then we've completely missed the point of what church is about. I think you see that with Paul, you know, that he really cared about these people. He called them his dear friends. You know, he knew so many people in this church because he cared. And he, he really did befriend. And that should be what, what life is like uh, for us. Uh, I remember one of the biggest influences in my life was actually when I was at university. The, the Christian Union, while I was there, was a very friendly place. You know, we, we were Christians, we were young Christians, but we all loved one another and befriended one another and spent time together. And I think that had as big an impact on me as anything in my Christian life. It's just uh, getting to know people, loving them, being loved. You know, it made a huge impact on me. And I wonder how much of an impact that we would have as the church if we did dedicate ourselves to this loving one another and to, to friendship. YouGov did a survey uh, a couple of years ago where they, they asked people about close friends, how many close friends they had. And apparently 12% of Britons said they only had one close friend, 41% said they had two or three, and 7% said they had no close friends. Now that people are desperate for friends, that so many people have uh, very few close friends, if any. And what if the church could be a place where we did befriend and, and love one another and could open up to one another? It could be a place where people could really find friendship. And, you know, going back to my experience at the, the Christian Union, the, the people I saw come in to the faith uh, actually were drawn in because of the love and friendship that they found there, the, the real love which came from, from God. And people noticed that kind of thing. You can't fake it. You can't fake that love. That's what will bring people, what will draw people to the gospel. The second thing is we need to, to stay away from people who promote disunity. And this is a, a hard teaching, I think, but it's, it's an important one. It's, it's a hard teaching because it, it's very difficult to do, isn't it? To, it's difficult, I think, relationally to stay away from people who are causing disunity because we have to, it might appear that we are the ones who are causing disunity. If we say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep away from you because they're, they're causing disunity. But I think nonetheless, if we are to take what Paul says seriously, we need to actually do this and we need to, uh, to make sure that we take the steps necessary if someone is causing disunity to, to step away from them somehow, whatever that might look like. This is what John, uh, the Apostle John said, 1 John 4 verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Anyone who claims to love God but hates a brother or sister is a liar. And if someone is causing division and disunity, then it shows they don't really love God. And I think we have to take that seriously. So this is one of those occasions where I think we need to be brave and we need to, to you know, 
make the brave decision to step away from those who are causing division where we can. That will look different in your situation, uh, to you know your different situations. They don't know what they may be. But there are times when we do have to step away from churches sometimes, from denominations. Um, I myself have stepped away from the Church of England. I was a Church of England minister. I've stepped away now from, from the church I was in and from the Church of England, largely be, for, for these kind of reasons, you know, that I can't be with those who are actually promoting disunity rather than unity. I'm not saying that leaving the, you know, the Church of England or any denomination is the, the right step for everyone, but I think we have to be prepared to go there if we're to take what Paul says seriously. So prayerfully consider what, what that might mean uh, for you. The third and final thing we need to remember is that God will establish us and we need to seek him and the, the unity that is found ultimately in him. That if we're looking to God, he will establish us and build us up in faith. And as he does, he will bring us together as well. This is what Paul says in, uh, in, in Ephesians. And this is what I will finish with. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one God, one Spirit, one Jesus, one Gospel, one faith. And if we are growing in that one faith, being established in that one faith, growing to know God, then we will grow in our unity as well, the unity of the Spirit. And that is what, what we see demonstrated here. And that is what we need to seek in our churches. And let's take a moment to pray and ask for God's help. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that Paul displayed in, in this letter and we pray that you would help us to have a similar love for one another, that we would seek to cultivate um, loving friendships, loving relationships with others uh, in the place that the church that you've put us. And we pray that you would help us to um, take seriously what Paul means to, to keep away from those who promote disunity and give us wisdom as to how we might do that, as we know that that is not an easy thing to do. And um, is, it needs bravery. So we pray that you would give us wisdom and bravery in doing that. And please help us to uh, establish us in faith. Help us to grow um, up in faith and grow closer to you and closer to one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.